All right. I think that most of you have at least gotten the idea or the concept uh, that we're here to try to learn and discern about the voice of the Lord and uh, what it is to listen to Him. And maybe you're by now learning or realizing that uh, God speaks to everybody in a different way, but there are some common things. One is, is that He speaks to you through His Word. They just made a great skit about that. And the other one is, He speaks to you in the still, small voice. Uh, sometimes it's direction, sometimes it's consolation, sometimes it's uh, just uh, having the time to spend with Him as far as fellowship is concerned. But then He also speaks to you through preachers. And it's important for you to recognize those things, which I'm going to try to use as an illustration practically today to make an application. Now, you've been praying all week for the Lord to speak to you. And last night, the indicator was, is that the Lord seems to be speaking to some of you. Uh, why else would you come down to an altar? Who is that told you to come to the altar? Now, if it's just you came down there because of your friend or something, that's different. Some of you might have come to the altar and said, Lord, I need you to speak to me. You came here and thought maybe he'll speak to you here. Some of you came here because the Lord spoke to you where you're sitting right now, and you said, you know something, I need to go. That's the voice of the Lord talking to you. Sometimes it's conviction. Sometimes it's confirmation. Like we talked about with uh, Gideon, when he comes out there and he puts the fleeces out, God didn't, is interested in that. Let me make this clear to you so that you'll understand. Uh, God's not interested in speed as much as accuracy. You've heard about that. But God also doesn't mind when you simply say in a very kind, courteous way, Lord, I just want to make sure that it's you. Could you give me confirmation that this is what I'm supposed to do? You'll still have to have plenty of faith to do what he's told you to do. But you don't ever want to try to get in a big hurry and do uh, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. If you remember over in the book of Matthew in chapter number 4, when the Lord's out in the wilderness of temptation, those last three temptations that come are the right thing at the wrong time. And one of those things is, is to kind of be a spiritual showboat. Like I got to do something to tempt God, jump off the pinnacle of the temple, want the angels catch you. And the Lord doesn't fall for that temptation. You have to be careful not to try to utilize the spiritual things or opportunities as your opportunity to show off your talents or your abilities. If you're able to get anything done for God, it'll be God using you and whatever He's already given you to allow you to minister to other people. You have to understand it's not you doing the ministering if it's going to amount to anything. It's God utilizing you like we talked about, the pipe inside the, the, uh, the wall. So you're not the fixture and you're not the source. You're just the one that brings the information that's there. So obviously you're beginning to recognize or realize how God speaks to you. Uh, sometimes God will give you a warning. Now for me, this is just me personally, if I'm about to do or say something that I have no business doing or saying, the Lord's pretty loud the first time. I mean, he doesn't say it out of a thundering cloud and those kinds of things like that. But if my fellowship is where it ought to be with the Lord, the second that I start to do or to say something that I shouldn't do, the Lord will give me a, a pretty stern warning right off the bat. Sometimes it'll just be like, all right, watch it now. And you say, well, that's just your conscience. No, it's just how he talks to me. I, I know when the Lord's speaking to me. I can tell. I can tell when he's getting on my dingbat and wearing me out and telling me what I shouldn't be doing. And I can also tell when he's giving me direction. But it's not this hazy, smoky, spooky, uh, uh, seance, Ouija board, crystal ball kind of a thing. It's just walking with the Lord and then before you recognize it or know it, you're just doing what the Lord wants you to do. I want to try to give you an illustration here this morning to show you the practical application of those things because as life goes on, you can't pause every single second of every day. Lord, do I take the next step? Lord, do I take the next step? It's not that way. 
It's I know I'm doing what God wants me to do today. Why? I'm going to work. I'm supposed to earn a living. I'm going to school. I'm supposed to make good grades. I'm studying because I'm supposed to study. If you're in athletics, I don't have any problem with people being in athletics. I think it's good for you. I think the reason that athletics is good for you is it helps you to train yourself and train your mind, get used to mixing it up with other people, and give you some social skills, believe it or not. And it also allows you to push yourself and know where your limits are. But athletics is not for everybody. I understand that. But, but don't think that just because you do it, everybody ought to do it. Some people are cut out for it, and some people aren't cut out for it. Some people are good when it comes to computer stuff. I don't care about computer stuff. I decide to remind, remain ignorant about that. Well, preacher, don't you know times have changed and all that? I, it doesn't matter. I'll get somebody else to figure out how to do what needs to be done. I don't need to become an expert in that and get distracted. Take me too much time to learn. They're changing the thing all the time. I can't even keep up with it. I had the last phone I had for nine years, which I know to some of you is a, is a shock. And it got so bad that they couldn't update the software and they couldn't do this and the phone got glitched up. And then I learned how to do some kind of workaround thing by pressing some button or whatever and it ghosted the system or something or another. And it worked for another three or four months. And then the next thing you know, they're sending me all these warnings. It's a, it's a scam, in my opinion, to get me to buy another phone. And I just refused to do it until all of a sudden I realized it just wasn't working anymore and I, I had to figure, I don't have time to fool with that stuff. Now some of you are enamored by that. God doesn't speak to you like he does through your cell phone. You can't Google God. Is that what you do when you hit the little button thing and you, you'd say, you know, Google or Siri or I don't keep Bixby, I think is the one for the... One of the people, I don't remember which one it is, but anyway, whoever your search engine is or the duck or whatever it might be or, or whatever you happen to use, you can't do that with God. God's still old school. If God's going to talk to you, you know what you do? He'll wait and see if you're willing to just spend some time. Let me ask you a question. How bad do you want to get a hold of God? Preacher, really bad. I got some bad, I got some hard decisions coming up. Not bad ones, hard decisions. I need to know what to do about college. I need to know about school. I need to know about where should I apply and what should I do. I need to know if I should get a, a skill set. I need to know if I should uh, go to a tech school. I need to know whether I need to be married. What do I do with finances? All right, if it's a serious decision, I'm going to make a suggestion to you. You want to hear from God? Get his attention. How do I get his attention? Why don't you try prayer and fasting? Now, you live in a generation now, when you mention the word fasting, people are like, oh, my God, fasting? you got to be kidding me. Do without food? Yeah, you do without food. It won't kill you, believe it or not. You do without food for eight or nine hours every night, and you don't ever, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you enough to wake you up. We're just talking about adding a few extra hours in there. I just mean if you're interested, you're wanting to get a hold of the Lord is what I'm saying. If you're not interested, don't worry about it. I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm talking about for serious decisions. How do I hear the voice of the Lord? There has to be a concentration of your effort. Lord, I really want to hear from you. How bad do you want to hear from me? Oh, Lord, I'll give up my breakfast time. Well, what do I do if I give up breakfast time? Well, you should be praying and reading during that time, not just I'm just going to be starving. I'm just, you say, well, preacher, we're too young to be doing fasting. Nobody's too young to be doing fasting. I mean, children have to be taken care of by their parents. And if you've got health diseases and stuff like that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, preacher, I've got a really serious decision, and I need to hear from God. You'd be surprised how you go to praying and fasting, and God will give your preacher a message on Sunday, and you'll sit there and think somebody has pimped you out and been reading your mail, and he's up here preaching, and the Lord's answering your question because he heard your prayer, and he's answering it through a preacher he doesn't even know he's preaching because of your prayers. 
Now, the thing you have to recognize is, is if you really want to get a hold of him, he's interested in talking to you. After he saved you, he didn't save you just to give you a list of rules and regulations. He didn't save you just to make you a better person and a more moral agent and those kind of things. He saved you to have fellowship with you, and he's interested in you. If any of you, eventually, when you wind up with kids, you know what you like about your kids? Your kids come to you when they have something they need. You don't say, get out of here, man. I'll tell you what you need, and I'll tell you when you want it, and all I'm going to do is just get on to you all the time. As especially as those kids get older, they want to come and sit down there and talk to you for a minute and ask you questions. Do you run them out of the room? Well, do you think God's any different than that? He wants to hear from you. Don't make it hard, but you want to get his attention? Try prayer and fasting. Try reading a couple of verses and then get down there on your knees before the Lord. I think that's just a good position. If you can't get down there, you got arthritis or you're too old or whatever, your back bothers you, any other kind of excuse, just lay out on the floor there. Just show a sense of humility. Don't walk in there like Martha and walk up face to face. Yeah, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Don't, don't be like that with the Lord. You're asking the creator of the universe for something. Be kind. Be courteous. Uh, be sincere when you walk into his presence. If you're going to ask him to give you an answer, he might decide to answer a fool according to his folly. Or he might decide not to answer a fool according to his folly. Both of those verses are side by side in the book of Proverbs. I'm just telling you how to get a hold of him. I'm going to show you how to listen to him in a minute. All throughout that Bible, the Lord shows you, Paul says, especially with him over there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, he says, in fastings often. Sometimes he had to fast because nobody was feeding him, but sometimes it's because he needed a direct answer from the Lord. It's showing that I'm putting aside my carnal desires, my fleshy desires. Now, I'm going to say something and I'm going to give you an opinion so you can throw it in the trash can if you want. For me, when I decide to fast because I have something I want the Lord to speak to me about, it's more than just food. I turn off anything that connects me to the world. I'm not going to be watching TV, even if it's just the home DIY channel or whatever it may be, or some sporting event or something that there's nothing wicked or ungodly or whatever. I'm cutting that thing off. I'm turning off the desires of the flesh. I take those days and I don't go do things. Now, I may walk or I might run a tad or, or things like that just to, to try to get away from that kind of a deal. I listen to preaching during that time. I listen to the scripture. A lot of times what I do is, is when I'm walking or whatever, I just listen to the Bible. If I'm in a plane, I listen to the old preacher and a couple other guys teaching. You say, why? I've listened to the stuff to occupy my mind with the right thing. Now, that's for me. Now, when I talk about a fast, when I say a fast, I mean I cut off the communication with all the things that I normally do. Now, that doesn't mean I quit preaching if I'm supposed to be preaching, if it happens to be extended. But I'm talking about, do you really want an answer bad enough to do without your physical desires? I still take a bath, and I still do all that, and I make sure I drink plenty of water and, and those kind of things. But I even cut out the caffeine. Now, that's just for me. You do whatever you want to do. I know this, I know that I can say I'm going to fast, and the second I say I'm going to fast, within about 12 minutes, I'm starving to death. You ever notice that? I can decide to fast just because I'm getting, getting fat, you know, and I can decide to cut it away. It doesn't hit me near as bad as, okay, Lord, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast, you know, for 24 hours, you know. Start the clock right after a gigantic meal. So tank up as much as I can tank up. Okay, Lord, start the clock. And I'm telling you within about 12 or 15 minutes, man, I'm starving. How much longer you got to go? <laughs> oh, man, you only got 23 hours and 45 minutes left. You're doing really good. 
But the issue is, is that it's not just a matter of God speaking to you, it's how bad do you want to hear from him. It's okay for you to do some things as far as fasting is concerned. Consult your doctor, consult your preacher, consult other people, and do what you can to do the things safely. But just recognize this, when it comes to fasting, it's not just pushing away from the table. It's pushing away from the world, it's pushing away from the flesh, and there is nothing that concentrates. And then use the time, this is for me, again, use the time that you would normally be eating. That means all the time buying food, preparing food, getting, eating food, and doing the dishes after food. To me, that involves a whole meal, not just coming and sitting at the table. The amount of time it takes to get it, to prepare it, to eat it, and then to clean up after it. Take that time right there every time you do it, if you eat three times a day or five times a day or whatever you might do, and you utilize that time for your communication with the Lord. And sequester yourself or get yourself in a position where you can say, okay, Lord, I, I'd like some answers. And I like to write down what I'm looking for. Now, I'm just giving you some practical things. You say, why? Uh, my mind tends to wander sometimes when I get quiet. My mind tends to, to be thinking about other things. Or the next thing you know, uh, my prayer will get hijacked and I'll be thinking about something that happened to somebody else. And then I'll start praying about that and I forget I'm looking for a specific thing. And then oftentimes I'm like, well, Lord, you didn't answer me. The Lord said, well, you didn't ask me. I said, well, yeah, I spent, you know, three minutes in prayer the other day. <laughs> why, didn't you, why didn't you answer me? The Lord said, well, we didn't talk about that. So I like to write it down. One of the reasons I like to write it down, ladies and gentlemen, is because when the Lord answers the prayer, yes, no, or maybe, or whatever it might be, that I can put down that thing and remember what God's done for me in the past. I've actually had God answer prayers for me. I don't think it's happenstance. I don't think it's a whoopsie. I don't think that somebody came along and it's just a coincidence and that kind of a deal. I've actually been praying about something and have God answer me in a particular matter. I've been praying down, down to the, at the most minute of points. You say, what do you do? I write that down. You say, what? For my own personal fellowship with him. For me, sometimes the things get difficult. You think the Lord's not hearing from you. And it does me a lot of good to look back in the past. And I'm going to show you this in a minute. And to go, now, wait a minute. The Lord helped me here. And the Lord helped me here. And the Lord helped me here. And the Lord helped me here. I like that song that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord's done. But I have a short memory. I can remember the troubles, the trials, and the tribulations. But I have a tendency to forget about the blessings. I woke up this morning and I'm thinking along these lines, just kind of meditating on where I felt we needed to go this morning. And I, uh, you know, kind of got an inkling from the Holy Spirit. You say whatever you want. I don't believe I heard you say uh, thank you for the breath this morning. And thank you for the safe night's sleep last night. And thank you that you're not in a hospital this morning. And thank you that you got your eyes open and that after you get to the kitchen, you can make a cup of coffee. And thank you for taste buds. And thank you that I was able to, and the next thing you know, I'm just sitting there going, boy, I sure have forgotten a lot already. I just took it for granted. Thank you for getting my wife back home. Thank you for the things that are going on back home. Thank you for the church back home. Thank you for letting me have an opportunity to be here to be with these kids that have become good friends of mine, that I've watched some of them for nine or ten years now grow up, and now they're bringing the kids themselves and that kind of a Lord, thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for this. I think sometimes the Lord's hesitant to do things for me because I'm slow to thank him for it. Now, you're probably not that way. You probably get up every morning and right off, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, thank you, Lord, I've got a good night's sleep, thank you, Lord, I can walk and move, but I have to work at that because when I get into contrition, when I get in a bad situation, boy, that problem, my God, I bring it up there to the Lord and I make it, I mean, it's you gongus, boy. 
But when it comes to the Lord just saying, well, what, what have I done for you? One of the skits they did here just the other day, take your Bible, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 30 here in a second. But one of the skits that came up the other day, or one of the songs I think that was sung, is that if the Lord doesn't do anything else for me, He doesn't have to do anything. And we all say that. And that's true, but yet we still come every day, most times, with our hands turned upward, and Lord, what are you going to do for me today? Well, I think one of the things that we might do is if your kid were to come to you and uh, let's say, you know, you ask them to, I don't know, wash the car or something, and they go out there and they wash the car and they let the soap dry too fast and, you know, it's got spots and stuff all over it, but you just appreciate it because your kids did it, but they made a mess of it. You ever go into somebody's house, especially grandparents are bad about this, and you get great-grandparents and that kind of a deal, and they look up on their refrigerator, and they got all these monstrosities there where these kids have drawn with different colored crazy, and they're all outside the lines and all that other kind of stuff, and they got that stuff in there, and they've tried to write their name on there, and they're writing their letters backwards. They look like they're, you know, dyslexic or something or another, and they're all twisted up, and they display those things proudly right there on the refrigerator. You ever seen that before? And they're so proud of it, and it's a mess. I mean, it looks like something, you know, Van Gogh or some abstract painter would do. And that grandparent will say, yeah, my grandkid did that. Ain't that something? It's kind of like, yeah, I don't even think I would line my garbage can with that. <laughs> yeah, but that's my kid. I'm proud of it. Can I give you an illustration? God gives you something to do. You know what you do? You make a mess of it, and you color all outside the lines, and you color it in different colors, and you write it backwards. And he puts it on his refrigerator up there and he said, my kid did that. Is it perfect? No. But my kid did it. They did the best they knew how to do. My kid did it. They're proud of it. You ever notice when you get older, the pictures on the refrigerators go away? <laughs> They're proud of you when you're making a mess of things. Well, suppose those two kids come to you after everything's done and that kind of a deal, and you say, I'll tell you what we're going to do, kids. You know, I'm going to go run the car through a car wash to make up for the mess you made, and we're going to go over here and get an ice cream cone. And you take the kids over there, and they get up on those stools. This is back in the day, and you get to order a couple of scoops of whatever your favorite ice cream is, and you order that, and the boy gobbles that ice cream down, boy, and he gets up, and Daddy, can I go play? And he's out the door, and that little girl pauses for a minute, and she looks at you, and she said, Daddy, thank you so much for uh, taking me to get the ice cream. I sure do appreciate that. Can I go play? Which one do you think you're going to be in a hurry to take back to the ice cream store? That was a question. Probably the one that was thankful. They both got ice cream. They both washed the car. <laughs> but one of them was just grateful. In Luke chapter number 17, when the Lord comes up in there and they're talking about offenses will come, lo unto him who they come, better him a millstone be hung about his neck and cast him to see than to offend one of these little ones. Lord, increase our faith. And you come down through that passage there. When you get to a particular place like that, uh, the Lord's beginning to give him instruction. He said, which one of you having a servant that comes in from the field and he goes and takes care and feeds himself and does this and that and the other? Or is it the other way around? When he comes in, he takes care of the master. And when he's done taking care of the master before he takes care of his own family, says, I have done that which is my duty to do. I'm an unprofitable servant. That's what he says. You know, we're supposed to do what God tells us to do and thank him for allowing us the privilege of doing it and then to say to ourselves, well, we're just an unprofitable servant. Lord, if you hadn't given me the ability to do it. But I wonder if I might not get a little bit more ice cream in life if I was a little more thankful for the ice cream I did get. 
I wonder if the Lord would be that way. I wonder if it would move his heart along those directions that I might get a little quicker answer if I was quicker to respond. Have you ever been slow to respond when the Lord told you to do something? You ever hesitate a little bit? I'm not talking about downright put your feet in the ground and be rebellious and be a jerk about it. I'm just talking about you know what you're supposed to do and you just kind of you kind of hesitate, you kind of slow to move on it. But then when you want a prayer answer, don't you say, hey, 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 I need an answer now. I need an answer now. <laughs> you throw up a Nehemiah prayer and say, Lord, help me now, right? And the Lord's like, I think I'll respond to you as quickly as you responded to me last time. Isn't that fair? Why shouldn't he be that way? But I've learned something about the Lord. I've learned he's kind of a big, a big on this Thanksgiving thing. I find over there in the Bible, and we get to it a little later on. Well, I won't get to it this morning, but a little later on. I find in Luke chapter 17, this is communication we're talking about. But the communication is not just God talking to you. It's you talking to God. It's two ways. You can't have a conversation with yourself unless you're crazy. So what you wind up doing is you have to learn how to talk to God. You want him to talk to you? Well, sometimes he responds to how you talk. You get short yelling and screaming and hollering at him and that kind of a thing, he might just be dismissive of you. He doesn't have to yell to prove his point. You start getting frustrated and mad and gritting your teeth and so on and so forth. But I've learned this about the Lord. I've learned if I start into my prayer life with saying, Lord, thank you that I even have an opportunity to even talk to you with an opportunity or a possibility of changing the direction of things where I'm at. I mean, I'm grateful when we were just at the hospital the other day. They found out a guy went in for a heart cath. He's got two uh, uh, arteries blocked 99% and one of them blocked 75%. And it was so bad, they took him in a bed and put him in a bed and said, we're going to do surgery on you right away. You're not even leaving the hospital. You're in such so close to having a heart attack. And, of course, I'm called. I went down to the hospital, and I said, they said, well, now he's in the hospital. He's got to have surgery. I said, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, preacher. And I said, yeah. Oh, if he hadn't had the heart cath, if you'd have waited any day, he was a ticking time bomb. They found it. Now they're going to correct it. Everything's going to be fine. Texas morning, preacher, guess who's going home? They split him from stem to stern, man, and went in there, cleared out the arteries. He's feeling better than he's ever felt. Praise the Lord. Why? They caught it before he wound up dying. You say, what is that? That's a good time to tell the Lord, thank you. Sure appreciate it, Lord. Appreciate the, even the good time, the, the bad times as well as the good time. Thank you. I've learned that if you learn to be thankful, it tends to catch his ear. I read over in the passage I call them the leaping lepers over there in Luke chapter 17 toward the end of that same uh, passage that chapter there and those lepers are crying out to the Lord and crying out to the Lord and the Lord says go show yourself to the priest and while they're going on the way they're getting healed and one of them and he was a Samaritan uh, returned and he came back to talk to the Lord and the Lord's response to him is he's communicating talking to him that's what we're talking about it's communication it'd be important for you boys when you get married learning how to talk more important learning how to listen but at any rate, he's talking back and forth with him. And he said, where are the nine that return to give glory to God? Well, I read the passage down through there in the King James Bible. That boy never one time says glory to God. So I'm thinking, how did he give glory to God? You know how he gave glory to God? He came back and told the Lord, thank you. Now I'll give you my spin on that. I think that guy is thanking God not for just for being healed up and not just for later on being made whole. You know what I think he's thanking God for? I think he's saying, Lord, I sure appreciate the leprosy because if it hadn't been for the leprosy, I wouldn't have been in a leper colony. And if I hadn't have been in a leper colony, you wouldn't have come by my way. And I would have never met you if it hadn't been. Lord, I'd just like to tell you thank you for the leprosy. 
because it helped taught me something on the other side that I didn't know before. Now, we'll just talk about that, and the idea of the thought is, is it might be a good habit for you to consider that before you get to asking a whole bunch of things, you thank the Lord for what He's done for you already. Do you realize what a miracle it is? You're born in the United States of America. I realize she's going down. The flag should be flying upside down. I realize we got an idiot that's up there that's, you know, got dementia. I, get, I understand all those kind of things, but still better here than a lot of other places in the world. I know it's all going down. The Bible says it's going down. I get that. I understand that. But you know what I'm grateful for? I'm grateful I was born here and the gospel could be preached and I could be raised in a Christian home and I'm in church right now. See, it's more for my benefit than yours. God did something for me. You say, what? He saved me and called me to preach and put me in church and raised me. You say, why? I don't know where I'd be if God hadn't done that. I don't take credit for any of that stuff. It was easier for me than it was be for some of y'all. Why? I guess I'm slower than some of you. I mean, one preacher told me, he said, I must be one of the slowest uh, preachers that he'd ever known because it took me over 20 years to graduate from seminary, referring to my previous career. He might have a point to that. Maybe I am a little slower, but I'm grateful for that. Do you realize how grateful that you could be? You're up here. Whatever the amount of money is, you managed to get up the money to be able to come up here and to have three hots and a cot and be able to play and have fellowship and listen to preaching and having a little bit of time to get alone and spend a little vacation time up here with the Lord. Do you realize how fortunate you are? You know how many kids in the world don't get that? Well, don't be making me feel bad. I'm not making you feel bad. I'm just saying be grateful you got a chance to. Be grateful you got to get in and get in early. You may make a mess of your life, but thank the Lord you can't mess up your salvation. If you're saved, you can't lose it. At least you're going to hell if you make a mess. I'm not going to hell if you make a mess of it. You should be thankful for those things. Look for things to be thankful for. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter number 30, we have our king again, and his name's David. And he's on the way to the throne. And he's uh, getting ready to really be something and somebody and those kind of things. And he's been anointed now. And David's down in a place called Ziklag. And David goes out to fight some battles and he makes a mistake. And he doesn't leave somebody to protect the rear. You have to always pay attention to what's going on behind you. Don't leave the, the, your, your back unguarded. And so he comes down there and it came to pass, the Bible says in verse 1, and when his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded from the south and Ziklag, smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken the women captive therein. And they slew not any, neither small nor great, and carried them away and went on their way. David and his men came to the city. Behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. David and the people were lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Hinoam and Jezreelitis, and of Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, and the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. All right, let me pause there for a second. Lord, bless your word and help us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, David comes back to a mess. And David has now come back, and David's a great warrior, but this thing is beyond his ability to fight his way out of. And David realizes now that he's made a big mistake by not leaving the people guarded there and protected. Maybe he even presumed that the Lord would cover it while he was gone. But he made a mistake and they've come in there. They've burned their houses and their lands and all of their crops and everything they have. They've burned them to the ground and they've taken their families captive. That's quite a scene to come back to. And David's got at least 600 uh, pretty rough men there that are warriors and so on and so forth. A couple of hundred of them have been with him for years and years in some of the fights and the battles that he's been through. Uh, but David's physical resources are down to nothing. He has nothing he can do. As a matter of fact, the people that he would count on to back him up or to support him have said now they're going to stone him. This is all David's fault. 
which is generally what people do under pressure. Let me just give you a side note. We'll get to talking to the Lord here in a second. Oftentimes when people are under pressure, they act out of character and they're looking for somebody to crucify. In this case, the one that had led them and helped them, who met them over there in the cave of Adullam when they were in debt and in distress and discomfited and all that, and David had helped them and they had managed to get a few things. David had been the one that had brought them to that. But all of a sudden, I mean, things don't go the way they want. They've turned on David. They're going to stone David. I mean, a lot of good it would have done. It's not going to bring the people back. But now it's David's fault that the families have all been taken away and they've wept and they've cried and they've bawled and they're just without any strength whatsoever. And David's in a real mess. Everybody's turned against him. Pay attention to this. He's all by himself. You ever been in a spot like that? You kind of feel isolated, kind of feel alienated. Your friends and sometimes even your family have decided to do one thing and you're struggling with what's the right thing to do and you feel all by yourself, well, good, you're not alone. David's been there. Elijah was that way under the juniper tree. Can I tell you that he did a lot for Jeremiah down in the pit when he was all by himself, Daniel in the lion's den. You have to recognize that sometimes in a Christian life, you're going to stand out because you're trying to find what God wants you to do, and you're going to feel isolated. But the Bible said he'll never leave you and never forsake you, and you have an opportunity to be able to talk to him about the problem. So the Bible says, if you look in there, but David encouraged himself, or you look at the passage real quick, in the Lord his God. You see the personal thing, not the God of Israel, not the God of all people, not the God of many nations. The Bible said David found encouragement where? In his YouTube channel, in Twitter feeds. He found it in social media. He found it in sports. He found it in drugs. He found it in drinking. He found it in fill in the blank, whatever you want. Not David. David recognized the situation's real desperate. Can I ask you a question? This isn't intended to you ask out loud. It's a bit rhetorical in nature, but let me ask you a question. Where do you turn when you're in trouble? I mean, I've dealt with people for years and years and years. As soon as they get in trouble, they find a reason to drink or to do drugs or to check out. You know what I've seen? I've seen people get in trouble. I've seen the Lord take care of them and take care of them and take care of them and take care of them. Then all of a sudden, they're in that distressed situation. They're discouraged. They're disconfitted. And instead of them getting closer to the Lord, they leave the church. And instead of getting mad at the people that's causing them problems, they get mad at the people in the church and the preachers at the forefront. It's your fault. They're going to get ready to stone you. Be accustomed and recognize when people are under pressure, if you're doing what's right to do, guess what they're going to do? You're going to be the one that becomes the one they're going to target. Like that old lady when I walked in there, just because I'm wearing a different color uniform, she immediately fixates on me and picks me out of the whole crowd. She didn't know who I was. But David's in a mess now and everybody's going to speak of stoning him. I mean, that's a real threat. He's outnumbered by people. He's got nothing that he's going to be able to do. He doesn't have a rock and a sling where he can kill a giant. He doesn't have a sword where he can come in. Nothing. He's fixing to die. And yet, what does he do? The Bible said David encouraged himself from the Lord. Lord, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to help me. Well, thank the Lord I got you, Lord. If I do die, I guess I'm coming home to see you. I guess, Lord, all the time we spent on the backside of the pastures over there talking about psalms and the sheep and you helping me with the bear and the lion and things. You know, Lord, I got to thinking about this the other day. This is how I'm thinking in my mind. David's thinking, it sure was good. I don't know how you helped deliver me from the bear and from the lion, but I sure am grateful for that, Lord. I sure appreciate it. And Lord, you know, I went out there like 
like a blink, like a fool going out there against Goliath. He said, I went charging out there. I didn't even half think about it. I said, you know, I'm coming at you at the name of the Lord. He said, I look back and now it makes me shake. I don't even know why I did that, man. I'm just, I was crazy, I guess. I lost my mind. But he said, Lord, you know what? You got me through that thing. And I guess, Lord, if you want me to get through this one, you'll get me through this one too. You did anoint me as the king, and so and I need you to help me, Lord. And it must be something came to his mind there because after he encourages himself from the Lord, the crowd seems to settle down somewhat. And then you know what he says? He says, go get Abathar the priest and go get me the, the ephod. Now I want to pause right here for just a second. We're talking about hearing from the Lord. David had communicated with the Lord in the past on the backside over there in the pastures. Now he's in a situation and he's having to follow a protocol. What's the protocol? Tell the preacher to bring me the Bible. Sometimes you don't have to know everything that's in the Bible to get an answer. Sometimes God gives you preachers. They're all across the back back there. You say, well, I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. Okay, you ain't ever going to agree with anybody on everything. Now, just you need to recognize that. But one of the things that you need to understand is, is those preachers and their heart and then the recesses of their heart, they want to help you. They're not going to discuss all the other kinds of things that you may or may not like about whatever's going on. They want to try to help you. You say, why? Because they've been where you are. One of the smartest things you can do when you're trying to hear from God is to talk to your pastor. Don't throw up in your mouth. You say, why? I mean, he probably knows a little bit more about the situation than you think he does. God set him up there as an authority, not a dictator. He's there to help you, to facilitate you. He's a facility, he's a servant. You'd go talk to the pastor. Say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this and this and this, and I need to get an answer on it. You know, the first thing you can do is you create good fellowship with your pastor. You say, Preacher, will you pray with me about this? You say, I can't imagine having my prayer. Why not? I write it down. I say, sure, I'll pray with you. And because I have a tendency sometimes to forget, I don't have a mind like some of you do, I'll say, well, let's pray right now. You, know? <laughs> you say, why? Well, I tell them I'll pray with them, and then what if I forget? And then sure enough, they'll walk up to me, and it'll be a week later and say, did you pray for me? It's like, oh, man, you can't lie. It's like, um, so now what I do when they ask me to pray for them, I just pray for them right then. That way I don't have to worry about you know, lying about it later. That's funny. You ever think about that? David said, bring, the, bring Abathar. You say, why? You've got to have somebody interpret that ephod. That ephod lit up. That ephod had letters of the tribes on that thing. David's asking specific questions of the ephod. Shall I go? Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? Specific questions he needs specific answers to. And the Lord gives him specific answers. But there's a protocol there. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors there's wisdom. Now let me just tell you this about a multitude of counselors. You get too many voices talking to you at one time, you get confusion. The best thing for you to do is to go and talk to somebody that you know has a personal interest in you, somebody that cares about you. For me, I know how I feel about my people, and there's no way you love my people like I love my people. Why? Because I see them every week, and I talk to them every week, and I know their ins and outs and ups and downs, and I know when they get a tick bite, and I know when they got an ingrown toenail, and I know when they got other kind of stuff going on, and you don't know that stuff, and I'm just telling you, there's no way. I know you even love my wife, but you don't love her like I love her. You don't know her like I know her. So you have to understand. I mean, you, you got to grab a hold of You need to talk to somebody who has an interest, in, a vested interest in you. Who would that be? Your pastor. He is not interested, ladies and gentlemen, on watching you fail. He's salivating for the opportunity to let me help you. 
There's nothing wrong with going in there and saying, Preacher, I'll please talk to you for a minute. Sure, what's going on? Well, you know, I got this and that and the other. Now, I've had some come to me and I say, that's above my pay grade. I don't know how to help you. Some of them come in with some kind of a major psychological issue or whatever. Go see a doctor. Well, Preacher, I got this going on, that going on. I'm not trained in that. Go see somebody else. But the majority, but the majority... I can pray for them no matter what the problem is, no matter what the difficulty is. And you know what that does? It facilitates a relationship between you and the preacher. David had the, one of the first things he said when he's under distress is, get the preacher to get the Bible, the ephod, we'll use the Bible here. Get the preacher to bring the Bible. I need some special answers. Where? He gets the answers from the ephod. He doesn't even get it from the priest. The priest just tells him what it says. Did you see that? What's wrong with talking to somebody who may be talking to the Lord more frequently than you are? I'm just saying because of the nature of what I do, I'm probably in talking to him a little more often than you are simply because it's the nature of what I do, not because I'm any better than you are. So guess what? It doesn't hurt to have a little extra help on the team, right? So the first thing I'm going to recommend to you, if you want to hear from God, talk to somebody that cares about you. Some of you have parents that are not good parents, and I'm sorry for that. I wasn't raised that way. I have a mom and dad. I had a, my dad's dead now, but I still have a mom. My mom prays for me every day. My mom will want to know where I'm at and where I'm doing and what's going on and this and that and the other. My mom's always, I've never been ashamed to go to my mom. Mom, I need you to pray. I have some people that I've known for over 35 and 40 years, and they pray for me and tell me they pray for me every day. I have no problem at all going to certain people and saying, hey, man, I'm in a squeeze. I got some people I haven't known near that amount of time. I can pick up the phone and I can say, hey, man, I need prayer. I don't even have to tell them what it's about. I, I, if I send them a text or say, hey, I need some prayer, they know I need to pray. Not tonight, not when I get ready, right now. You need to find somebody that you can couple up with or pair up with and that can share that burden in prayer. And I don't mean share gossip. I don't mean talk about whatever else. I'm talking about, hey man, I'm in a mess and I need some prayer. Oh, what's the mess and what is it going to do? What are you going to be? Well, you know, when I was in a mess like that, here come the one-uppers. Well, you know, the last time I was involved in a situation like that, the way that I handled it was to be able to say, okay, you know what? I ain't calling you to ask you to pray. Just tell the Lord about it, okay? Nice talking to you. I'm not talking about that. You need to find somebody to couple up with in prayer. Somebody that cares about you. Not just somebody to, hey, blanket prayer, you pray about this. And got a phone call last night about something going on and called, and it was a pretty tragic situation. And in that particular set of circumstances, left the message before I could call him back. And preacher, we really, really need prayer right now. And boy, when I got to the bottom of it, they really, really need prayer. He said, what would you do? I prayed before I was able to make the phone connection. You say, why? God can help them right then on the spot. They're way out in the West. I can't get to them right now. But here's the thing you got to recognize, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, you need to have a relationship with your pastor. And when I say that, I don't mean a fresh relationship and a carnal relationship and a joking and clowning around and funning around and that kind of a deal. You do that with each other. I'm talking about a relationship that you can go and say, preacher, can you pray for me? You want to get a good one? You girls, you want to get a good one? That's why I was standing here to remind me. You want to get a good one? Get your preacher's wife to pray with you. I'm serious. You'd be surprised the wealth of knowledge that woman knows. You say, why? She has to hang around with that old bear all the time. 
He listens to him gripe and complain and listens to him mully grub. She sees him under the stress and the strain of the ministry. She sees him under the burdens of prayer for other people and things like that. And she picks up stuff along the way. It's better than going to seminary. And you come in there and you sit down with her. Boy, it'd be like talking to a second mama. You don't have somebody to talk to, go to your preacher's wife. Miss Preacher, I'll talk to you for a minute. Don't walk up there and, you know, call her by her first name and act like she's your high school chum or your sorority sister from college. Hey, can I, can I say something? You don't, have to, you don't have to give her all the details. Can you pray with me? You know what that woman will do? She'll put you on the top of her prayer list and pray for you as if you are her own kid. You say, why? That's the benefit of having when you get discouraged, go to the Lord and the Lord will say, well, get somebody to pray with you. I'm an advocate, man. When you're struggling sometimes, you get somebody to go to the altar with you. If nothing else, hold your hand, put an arm around you. Oh, preacher, that's just, you know, that's just kind of, okay. Listen, nothing better ever happened to me when my hind end was up to my nose and alligators, and all of a sudden, here come the lights, and I hear the siren, and somebody I don't even know steps out in the same color uniform and bails me out. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I was so glad to see him, I could hug him and kiss him after we got done with the mess. Well, that's ridiculous. Well, it's the same way you're struggling in prayer. Sometimes it's just good to have somebody there with you. Now, to make that suggestion to you, and gentlemen, I make the same suggestion to you. Don't go to the preacher's wife. Go to the preacher. But sometimes, especially if you're young boys, you can get kind of a mama's attitude toward you if you ask Miss Preacher to pray with you. In effect, that's what David's doing. But here in the passage, you know what he's doing? He's telling him, he said, call for the priest and bring me the Bible. Why? Because... Maybe the preacher already has your answer for you. He can show you from the scripture. He's been studying his whole life. Listen, kids, the majority of your pastors are very, very well studied. And when it comes to these personal issues, they really do have answers for you. You don't need to turn to YouTube for a quick answer from some, jet, uh, 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 some uh, donkey that's up in Canada and giving you all kind of crazy stuff. You need to go talk to the man that knows the book. God gave him to you not just to speak to you from a pulpit. The last time you just went over and said, Preacher, can we talk for a minute? Don't get advice from your peers when you're going through that. Your peers don't know any more than you do. You're getting this kind of stuff. You know what you do? Hey, you've been there before, right? Yeah, what do you need? Well, what do I do? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Are you with me? Second way you hear from God is right in the passage, the ephod. David's in prayer. You would say it that way. You know what he's doing? The preacher's there. The ephod's there. And he says to the Lord, uh, shall I pursue? And the Lord says, pursue. Spells it out through the ephod. Shall I overtake? Yep. Sometimes the Lord shortens the answer. All he's waiting is for you to ask. We're talking about communication. Are you with me? Do you really want the truth of something? Then when you ask for the truth and then God gives you the truth, don't buck up against the truth. Your preacher sits down with you and says, here's what the Bible says and here's what the truth is. Well, you know, I went to a college the other day and I was over there the other day. You know, they were teaching me this abstract idea, this new thought that's coming on that. Listen, here's the truth. Here's what it says. You want to do that? Well, I, you know, what I'd like for you to do is write me a thesis on that and put your abstract in first. And then after you turn that in, and I'll go over that thing and then I'll critique it. And then I'll make a decision. You're too smart for your own good, man. God doesn't deal with that. God's smarter than you are. You know what God will say? Yeah, go do. 
doesn't give you some long answer for you to sit there and have some kind of a conversation with the creator of the universe that knows all your RNA and DNA and every molecule and all that. You think, you're going to, you think Einstein could impress the Lord? I mean, Einstein didn't even know that pi was round. How in the world do you think he could impress the Lord? Maybe three of you got that. I just want to ask a question. This has abs- absolutely nothing to do with anything. Does anybody in here know what Pavlov's dog is? Just raise your hand. Don't say anything. Okay. All right. Just curious. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. David's now inquiring of the Lord, but now look at what David gets out of that. How are we doing on time? 46. So I've got about four minutes. So I have to talk really fast. Okay. David is getting an answer from the Lord. Now he's got an answer. Where do you think David got the courage to go alone? Because it wasn't until David had the courage to go alone that the other 600 guys changed from wanting to stone him to follow him. Where do you think that came from? It was an offshoot because he never asked for it of an answer and his willingness to, by faith, do what God said to do. In my mind's eye, you know what I think he does? I think he jumps on the trigger there, a big white horse, white stallion. And I think he saddles up and they say, man, what are you doing? You're fixing to run from us. We're going to stone you. You ain't going nowhere. And somebody reaches up and grabs the bridle of that horse. He said, oh, you have to stone me if you want to stone me. But in the meantime, the Lord told me to pursue after them and told me that I was going to overtake them. So I'm going to get them. David, all the Amalekites and all those people, there's no way. Yeah, but me and God make a majority and I'm headed out now. So turn loose on my horse, man. I'm going after him instead of sitting here whining and crying and bawling, squalling and blaming everybody. Uh, your personal opinion of me and that kind of stuff we can discuss it later. In the meantime, Amalek is getting further and further away, and my wife and kids are needing to be rescued. Let go of my horse. I'm leaving now. Where do you think that courage came from? It's an offshoot of him asking God in the first place, and then God gave him the direction, and by faith he stepped into the direction, and the boldness came there with it. The enabling came after his willingness to follow the calling. And so David jumps on his horse, and then the next thing you know, all the guys drop the rocks there on the ground, and they're like, well, okay, well, if he's going, I'm, you know, I'm going too. And then off they go. And I don't have time to give you the whole rest of the story there, but do you understand the protocol that's there? Lord uh, tells you, if you have not, you have not because you ask not, or you ask because you want to consume it upon your own lust. But do you ever realize this? Do you ever realize that's a blank check for you? Did you ever ask God for the boldness? Did you ever ask God for whatever it is that's burdening you? I'm not talking about asking for something to consume on your lust, like a Bentley or a Mercedes or something like that. I mean something that's in line with the will of God, something that God would have you to have. Do you think that God would want you to have a little bit more, I hate to use the word, self-esteem? Some of you don't have any confidence in yourself. You're lowering whale poop in the bottom of the ocean all the time. Well, God made you. You're God's creature, and God can use you. <laughs> you ever look at the people God's used in the Bible? You ever look at some of the ones he uses now? Well, that should encourage you. You're not the lowest rung on the ladder. It's not bad to be that. I, I realize arrogancy and pride is in the Bible, but it's also all false balance to go too far the other way. I mean, God made you. You're doing all right. You may not be the most beautiful woman in the world. Good, it'd probably keep you out of a lot of trouble. Some of you get more concerned about your appearance than anything else. Listen, zits are a part of life. 
Those things show up out of nowhere, literally, and the next thing you know, you're mashing it and mayonnaise and mustard's all over the mirror in front of you, and then you got this giant crater in your head, and now you're like looking for your sister's makeup to cover it up, but you can't cover up a crater, man. You'd have to call in a dump truck to fill in that big hole, you know. And now they've gone from calling you to, you know, Cyclops to Craterhead, you know, and that kind of a deal. And you think literally that eye comes in, your, in the room before you do, right? You get consumed with looks. Nowadays, you know what you do? You put out on social media and you ask for 150, 200, or however many followers you have, what their opinion is. You're not made to do that. You're not made to have every day, have everybody judge you, that many people judge you in a day. Man, you talk about getting flat, they're always going to find something wrong with you. And then two or three people disagree. You'll go by the two or three instead of the 97 that didn't. Turn that junk off, man. That stuff's not good for you. But I'm talking about prayer. And not just tonight, today how God talks to you, but how do you talk to God. Talk to your preacher. Talk to your preacher's wife. Talk to them old saints of God that are in there and have them pray for you. Man, you want to get lit up? You get you a couple of those old saints to put you down on a prayer rock or to put you in their prayer journal, man, you'd be surprised. They ain't got nothing else to do. I have two old people, my, uh, elderly people in my church. They don't care if I call them old. They're old, man. And uh, they're, they're old. They say, preacher, we can't do this and this and this and this. But preacher, we can pray. I said, can I see your prayer list? They give me a prayer list. You say, what'd you do? I took out my pen. And there's a number one on there. I went right over the top of the number one, and I went, preacher, peacock. They're like, well, you're on here. I said, yeah, but I'm too far down the list. <laughs> right there. You say, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, I did. I absolutely did. You say, why? Because I'm selfish. That's why. I mean, I want to be number one on somebody's prayer list, you know. They're praying, so I'll say, now y'all pray for me. I'll look back there at them. If they both happen to be there, they get sick a lot and things like that. And they'll both be nodding like this. I know what they're thinking. I know, you're the first one I see every morning when I wake up. You know what they do? They get up in the morning. Those two sweet old people, man, they get up in the morning. They read their Bible. One of them raises uh, hibiscus flowers. You know, those big, big, huge flowers like that. He sends me a picture. He said, Preacher, your flower's in full bloom today. And I go out there, and, and uh, he sends me pictures in the garden. He said, this is your uh, flower for you, and this is the one for your wife right here. He has two hibiscus. We happen to be growing side by side. It's pretty cool. But at any rate, and he said, whenever I stop here to tend to it, to trim it, to fix it, to do it, he said, I spend the whole time praying for you while I'm looking at that hibiscus. Preacher, you're in full bloom today. Yeah. That's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard of. I don't think I'd be standing here right now if it wasn't for prayer. Preacher, what are you trying to tell me? Take advantage of what you have as far as your resources is concerned. Share spiritual things, not just carnal things. Spiritual things. Get your pastor. He cares about you. Pastor's wife care about you. And then uh, consult the Bible, but recognize that nobody's mastered it yet. Nobody's an expert over it. So go to somebody that might have answers you don't have. And if you follow those things and then do what God tells you to do, he'll give you the boldness to complete the task that he's given you to do. All right, Brother Joe, you come and let us go eat a hot dog or something. And I hope that helps you this morning, makes some sense to you.